All right, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, we are going to look at verse 8, um, just through verse 12. There's not a lot of verses here. Uh, my focus is on the message that the angels delivered to the shepherds. Um, if you just think about Christmas, uh, we're, we're talking about Christmas miracles. If you just think about Christmas, one of the things that I believe everybody hopes for is a little magic at Christmas time. If you watch a lot of the Christmas movies, and, and I have liked a lot of Christmas movies in the past, and, and there's always something where there's just a, just a little magic, something that, that just wasn't going to work, and then all of a sudden, you know, through the, 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 the talents of Hollywood, they make things work. You know, and we've, we've seen so many stories, they warm your heart, they make you feel better inside. We always want just a little bit of Christmas magic, and, and we have surrounded Christmas with so many different things, but you know there truly are miracles about Christmas, and there's a lot of miracles that happen during Christmas times. In fact, I would say that as we think about the birth of Jesus, uh, we, we think about that original setting, um, there's very little of that that humans could have accomplished on their own. It is very much surrounded in miracles. They are countless um, th th that are associated with the birth of Jesus. And, and I want this morning for us just to look at a few of the really big ones, the ones that we can identify and what the angels said to the shepherds. And let's just talk about that for a minute and what that actually looks like for us. Um, the sermon in a sentence is, the birth of Jesus Christ is a miracle that has changed the way his followers live. I do intend this to be very practical for us. Um, we're looking at scripture and certainly there is things that we must learn, but I want this to be very practical as we begin to see what do these miracles mean? How do these miracles change our lives? And so that's what we're going to be looking at. So I'm going to read you Luke chapter 2, uh, verse 8 through verse 12. It says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And angel and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You shall find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, and lying in a manger. Okay, so I'm not even going to use all of this. The things that, that are there, I'm not even going to use all of that. I'm just going to bring out some things. We're going to look at some miracles. So to build in just the slightest bit of context, like you haven't known this before, um, Jesus was born. And uh, that's the Christmas story. Uh, but Jesus was um, part of a family that, was, that had to come to Bethlehem to be born because there had been a census that had been called. And in those days, you went to a place to be counted. And so uh, Joseph's family was descended from David, and so they had to go to the city of David. They had to go to Bethlehem to be counted. Um, some of the stories say that there was no room for them in the inn. Uh, the, the word inn there probably doesn't mean hotel or inn or anything like what we might think of. Um, it would have been a family home. There would have been a place that, that they should have been welcome and should have been able to be there. Um, but they, for whatever reason, were not. Now, there's a lot of reasons that maybe it was overcrowded. But also, if you, if you just remember the story, Jesus is born of a virgin, but who all knows that? All they know is that Joseph is betrothed to a pregnant lady. 
Um, and so maybe they were shunned, but for whatever reason, Jesus wasn't born in the, the family area where they sh maybe he should have been born. He was born in a stable. Uh, don't get any fancy notions in your head of a barn dominium. He was probably in a cave. Um, and then when he was born, he was laid in a manger. This is not some you know, beautiful crafted you know, cradle or anything like that. It would have been a trough a feeding trough that he would have been laid in. Now the swaddling clothes that he would have been wrapped in, uh, that is very, very symbolic. If you um, know anything about uh, the, the Hebrew sacrificial system, a lamb was one of the highest sacrifices that they could make. And so if a shepherd witnessed the, the birth of a lamb and it was a spotless lamb, if it was perfect, it was worthy of, of uh, sacrifice, then it would be wrapped in swaddling clothes to keep it from being marked or blemished so that it could be uh, given as a sacrifice. And so that was already a foretelling of the fact that Jesus would one day be that Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. And so in the very same region where Jesus was born, there were shepherds watching their flocks by night. I'm not going to get into a whole lot of it at all because it's, it's no real point for it. Uh, at this particular time, it probably would have been spring of the year, maybe not December. Um, when they would have been watching their flocks by night. But we have what we have today as, as, as Christmas on December the 25th. Whenever we celebrate it, it's always a reason to celebrate. And so the date isn't all that important. But those shepherds were watching their sheep by night. Now, what were they watching? Well, they were watching sleeping sheep. Uh, they were probably watching for predators uh, because that would have been a possibility. Uh, they were probably also watching for thieves. Those would have been among the things that they would expect to have happened. Probably those shepherds settled down, leaned up against a tree or whatever. They probably were not expecting lights to just illuminate the sky and for messengers from heaven to begin to speak to them. Probably wasn't around, among the things that they thought, well, you know, this might happen. And so here they are. They, 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 are, they are surrounded by light, surrounded by the glory of God, receiving a message from angels. Um, and so what we have to understand is that angels are messengers of God, so they speak with the authority of God. Whatever they say is God's word in this case. So if they give a command, it is a command from God. Um, and so we see in this a lot of miracles, several things that I want to bring out to you. So the first miracle that I believe we see, followers of Jesus can finally live without fear. So it does say, and almost kind of understatement there in verse 9, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Not a big surprise there. I'd be scared too. To be totally honest with you, if I'm sitting out in you know, the, the open air, it's dark, there's nothing going on, and all of a sudden I'm surrounded by the glory of God and there's an angel, I would be afraid too. And I think most of us probably would because that's not something that we expect. Um, but why, why do we know for a fact that followers of Jesus can now live without fear? Well, that's the first word that the angel says, fear not. Okay? So in the immediate context, um, the angel might have been saying, hey, don't be afraid of me. But I don't believe that that's what was actually being addressed here. He was telling the shepherds, do not be afraid. This comes as a command from God. God does not command us to do impossible things. Before God commanded people not to be afraid, that would have been impossible. But God is making a way for us not to be afraid. What would there, to, what would there be to be afraid of in the first century? Well, 
basically everything. This is before antibiotics, and so a scratch on the arm might lead to an infection that, that leads to a fever that ravages your body and leaves you dead. Um, basically anything you could be afraid of uh, because there was so much going on. The, these shepherds lived in an occupied land. Remember, Israel was not sovereign at this time. They were ruled by the Romans. What happens if the Romans decide that they want to begin to really enforce martial law or something like that? People could die. Or if they wanted to enforce stronger taxes and it meant that the shepherds had to give up some of their sheep, whatever could happen, there were a lot of reasons that these shepherds could and, and, and should, in a lot of cases, be afraid. Now, these shepherds were living in Israel. Now, one thing that we know about Israel is that even if you were not really following um, the law of God or, or following Judaism in a very strict way, you would have known the demands and the commands of God. Um, and if you were a shepherd that wasn't following very closely to what God had said, you would know that you were a sinner and that you were in line for God's judgment. But at that time, you would have had no clue what that looked like and no clue how to avoid that. And so there would have been many different reasons, both physical and spiritual, for people like that to be afraid. But God says, do not be afraid. Now, how does that work out for us today? What do we have to fear today? Well, we definitely are more aware of just the amount of things that we could be afraid of. We have better medicine. We have uh, better trained medical professionals nowadays. But there's still some things, health things, that could that could really cause you major problems in a very big hurry. Did we not see fear during COVID? Did we not see a panic among people with, with, their, with their health and, and their concern about whether they're going to get sick and what that sickness is going to do? Best medicine in the world sometimes didn't do anything for those that had that. And so we could see fear over health issues. What else? Well, in the first century, you know, they, they didn't really have any uh, uh, guarantee of their meal tomorrow. Well, we may, some of us may, if you've got a freezer full of food or a pantry full of food, you may have that guarantee. Uh, but I'll point back to COVID one more time because it's fresh on our memory. Um, think about a couple of weeks after that started. Run down to the store and buy some toilet paper. You couldn't do it, could you? It was all gone. Somebody else had it all. I think it went to show us that even the things that we think you can always get, you can always get your hands on this, you can always get your hands on that, a supply shortage and all of a sudden you can't get those things. And so we are not as secure as we think we really are. We don't have access to everything that we think we have access to at all times. There are things that just simply could go away in a hurry and it would be terrifying for us. But there are all kinds of other things. It might be your job or financial security. It might be your health. It may be things with your family. Uh, this is Christmas time and people are traveling. Some of you may have loved ones on the road right now. We worry about these things. These are things that could lead to fear for us. And when we go through this life, we are surrounded by things that probably could and should make us afraid. But this first command, I take it as a miracle. God has made a way for us not to live in fear. Why would you not live in fear? Well, put yourself back in school for just a moment. Go all the way back to school. And when you are there, there's somebody bigger than you. There's somebody stronger than you and meaner than you. And you're in their sights. Maybe you had that happen in your life. Maybe you didn't. But you can probably imagine what that would feel like. And you think that you're about to go through a really rough time from this person and then your friend shows up 
that's just a little bit bigger than them, just a little bit meaner than them, and they're not going to put up with it. Think about how you felt in that moment. You felt free. You felt saved. You felt like you weren't in trouble anymore, that there was no more threat because now your friend was there. And that was the one that was outnumbered. That was the one that was outgunned. And all of a sudden, you know that you're going to be okay. Well, on a much, much grander scale, the arrival of Jesus means just that for us. There are things in this world that are bigger than us. They're scarier than us. They're meaner than us. They're tougher than us. They can cause us all kinds of harm. But because Jesus is here, there is a reason for us not to be afraid. He is that bigger friend. And I'm not going to describe him as meaner, but I will say that he can handle any kind of problem that we face. Jesus is here, and that is a reason for us not to be afraid. And that is a miracle, I believe, of Christmas. As we continue to look at what the, the angel said, they said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. Good news itself is a miracle. The followers of Jesus have received good news. When we think about the first century, news was not always good. Most of the things that people would hear would be of tragedy. People would hear of things going bad or things going wrong. What's happening in the empire? What's happening with your family? What's happening with the weather? What's happening? There would be all kinds of reasons. And, 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 and let me tell you, we may not believe that we live in this world, but, but we do. Um, but in the first century, a, a drought of a month or two or three months, the rain's not coming at the right time, and, and a nation could starve. And so there were a lot of reasons to be, to be concerned, and a lot of times that you might think, well, the next thing I hear is going to be bad news. The next thing I hear is going to be this, this bad news. It's not going to be anything uplifting. And even the good news may not necessarily be all that good because it comes with, with problems. It comes with things that, that could be a concern in the future. But these angels said, I have good news. We bring good news to you. Now, we know... Um, that the word gospel means good news, and so the angels were bringing the news, the information of Jesus himself. Even today, if we go searching for good news, that's harder to find, isn't it? If you go to a news site, if you go to, you know, tell, turn on the news, it is much more difficult to find a good news story than it is to find those bad news stories. There's always somebody that's been robbed. There's always somebody that's been hurt. There's always you know, something going on internationally that's a problem. There's always bad news. But where is the good news? The good news is in what the angels delivered. This is a miracle. Good news is truly a miracle. The good news is that Jesus came to this earth to pay the price for our sins. Remember when I said the shepherds, they, they, even if they were not really followers of Judaism, they would have understood that they had broken God's law and that they were under judgment. Well, what is the good news for them? The good news is that now they can be forgiven in Jesus Christ. That is the good news for us as well. You know, there, there are people that probably know the, the, the law of God, people that probably understand the difference between you know, righteousness and sinfulness, but many people may not understand, well, how do I transition from a sinful person to a righteous person? How does that happen? Well, what we learn in Scripture is that you don't become righteous through hard work. You don't become righteous through doing a little bit more or, or attending church or any other thing that you might could check off of a list. You become righteous because Jesus makes us righteous. 
that's the good news. That when we trust in Him and believe in Him, He changes us. That's the good news. So all of those wondering, what do I do about the things I've done? Well, you can't do anything, but Jesus has done something. Trust in Him and He will bring you forgiveness. And that is the good news. And so that is a miracle that we see in Christmas. And it's certainly something um, that the angels were proclaiming to uh, the shepherds that morning. The next thing they say, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Great joy. Now, you've probably heard sermons or people talk about the difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is something that is based on circumstances. Joy is something that is internal, that is, that is much deeper than that. But I can tell you that if you have lived a long enough life, if first century or 21st century, if you've lived a long enough life, there are enough heartaches, there's been enough tragedy, there's been enough disappointment, there's been enough pain that you may not always have a wellspring of joy. There may be some cynicism, right? There, 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 there may be some mistrust, misgivings. There may be some things in you that are just saying, you know what, I don't necessarily think everything is great anymore. I don't necessarily have the hope that I once had. I don't necessarily you know, believe in the goodness of people anymore. If you've been burned or may, maybe you've seen yourself do something that you didn't think you could do, maybe you have lost confidence in yourself. Well, here's what the angels say. Do not be afraid. We bring you good news. And this good news is great joy. Joy does have to be based on something. It's not circumstances, but it has to be rooted on something. And, and, and there, there, is, there is joy that probably can exist that's not based on Jesus. But the best joy I have ever found is the joy that's in Jesus. Because He doesn't change. You know, if there's, if there's joy in something that's in my life, something that maybe I've done or something that's been accomplished or something like that, that can still fade. But the joy of Jesus remains because He doesn't change. Have I not been the best Christian today? Jesus is still King. He is still Lord. He's still my Savior and He still forgives me. Has it been a rough week? Jesus is still Lord. He reigns. His gospel is still true. That's the thing that we have to recognize is that Jesus is that source of joy and He's not changing. He is never moving. He is never stopping to be good. He is never stopping to, to do the things that, that, that you know, we need in our lives. We need a Savior, and Jesus remains that Savior always. Even as believers, we're going to make mistakes and do things that we're ashamed of. Uh, we're, we're still going to face problems that we think, wow, I, I should be beyond this, but I, I'm really not beyond this. Jesus is there. And that gives us joy. That gives us the joy to move forward. That gives us the joy that when we see bad things happen and, 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 it, and it, we tend to, to go down with the things that we see. When we see something really sad, we tend to get really sad. But remember, Jesus is king. Jesus has a plan. He's working on these things. And so when we look at these things that, that, that may seem to, to drag us down, that's when we have to hang on to that joy. That joy is a miracle. It's not something that's natural. It's not something that just happens among the world. It's not something that someone else can give you. Only Jesus can truly give you that joy. That makes it a miracle. But look at this next thing. It says, I bring to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. All people 
can become followers of Jesus. Not everybody is born and raised in church. Not everybody always makes the right choice. Not everybody has this clean life with a real boring testimony. Some folks have really lived. They've went through some things. Now, one of the things that happens, and I've heard people say this, God doesn't save people like me. I've heard people say that. God doesn't save people that have done the things that I've done. Some people have said things like that in my presence. And here's what I have to say to that. The good news, the joy, it is for all people. Now, what does that mean? Uh, obviously, the, the, the context there, the, the, the language, it means for all races, all languages. The word is ethnos, so it's like tongues, all languages, all people of every tribe, of every race. It is for everybody. But it also means all of us that have done things that we shouldn't have done. It means that Jesus is a Savior that isn't concerned with what you've done because of what He's done. Jesus died for all our sins. All is such a small word, but it is so powerful. And that's what makes the gospel for all of us, is that He died for all of our sins. He paid that price. So it doesn't matter what you have done. And I'm not saying that sin doesn't matter. I'm saying there, there, is, there is no way that you could have disqualified yourself before ever meeting Jesus Christ. He is there for you. He extends that invitation daily for you. We can belong to Him. This is good news for everybody. This is great joy for everybody. This is a life without fear for everybody. And this is a miracle. It is not a select few. It is not just those that know special things. It is a good news for everybody situation. He goes on. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. The followers of Jesus have received a Savior. Now when we think about what a Savior means, in any context, a Savior is good news. No matter what that context might be, a Savior is always good news. Um, when I was a, a, a kid, we used to go fishing a lot. Um, and I don't know that my dad ever owned a new boat motor. So we had a little John boat, and he always would motor upstream, you know, just in case something happened, you would float down. But um, at that age, I didn't understand what a good fishing hole looked like and a bad fishing hole, so it felt to me like we would motor for hours. It wasn't. It was probably 10 minutes. But it felt to me like we motored for hours looking for some place to fish. And probably every third or fourth time, we'd be running along, and all of a sudden, you'd feel a jerk. And you'd hear some sputtering, and then the boat motor was dead. And so now you're coming back downstream very slowly for a long, long time to try to get back to where you go. The times where things went really well is when somebody we knew or even somebody we didn't know came along and said, hey, do you need some help? Do you need us to tow you back to the landing? In that case, those folks were saviors because that was, we, we, were, we were not without a paddle, but we were in a bad way. 
and they were saviors in that moment. And it can be anything like that. It can be, you know, somebody that pulls up beside you on the road and helps you change a tire. It can be, you know, somebody that comes alongside you at your most difficult time and gives you some encouragement that you need to know. Those are saviors. And let me tell you, Jesus is the ultimate savior. And here's why. Because the problem that each of us have in common, the problem of sin, the fact that we have walked away from God, that we are in rebellion to God, no one else can be that Savior except Jesus. He paid the price, He made the offer, and He's drawing us to Him. He's the only one that can be that Savior. But He is one that can be a Savior for all of us. This is a miracle. When we think about Christianity as compared to other religions, we think about the, the religions of the world that say, do these things and you will get this reward. Do these things and you might get to go to this next level of existence or whatever it might be. There's always, there's always a deity or it seems there's always a deity, but that deity is far away. But what we see in Jesus is that God came to us. That's what the word Emmanuel means, God with us. He came to us to pay the price for our sins and make a way for us to be saved. He is our Savior. It is truly unique. It is one thing that sets us apart is that we know through Scripture that we can have a personal saving relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So he says, for unto you this day in the city of David, or for, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The followers of Jesus have received the Lord. What is Lord? Lord is commander. Lord is master. Lord is leader. Now, one thing that um, some people have a lot of, some people have a little bit of stubbornness. That was one of my areas of, of blessedness. I have a lot of stubbornness. But one thing that I have managed to do is once I mess something up, I want somebody else to kind of show me the way. Don't show me the way until I've already messed it up. But once I've messed it up, help me now. Show me how to get out of this, how to get out of this mess. Whatever it is that I've done, Show me now how to fix it, how to make it better, how to make it right. I want a leader at that point. Jesus is that. Whether we meant to or not, whether it was, was part of the plan or just something that happened, we've made a mess. And I'm talking to people that aren't saved, and I'm talking to people that's been saved a long time. Because Christians in the room, we've made some messes too, haven't we? And in that moment, we need a leader. We need a Lord. We need somebody to show us the way, to tell us what to do, and take us to the right places to go. Jesus is that. He is our Lord. There are times in our lives where we don't submit to Him, and that always leads to a mess. It always leads to a problem. But He will take you wherever you actually turn and start following Him. He will take you from that place to where you need to be. He will lead you. He will show you the steps that you need to take. He will be your Lord. But you know, the thing about a Lord is you do have to submit. We have to submit to Him. It has to be Him leading, not us. Now, I'm not singing the country song, Jesus, take the wheel. I'm saying He has to be our Lord. 
He has to be our master. We have to submit to him and allow him to tell us what to do. He has spoken to us in scripture. He also leads us personally as we go through our lives. He is our Lord. Now the final miracle that I would like to talk about this morning is the most personal miracle of Christmas is that you can be a Christmas miracle. You might be the Christmas miracle. 2,000 years almost has passed since Jesus was physically born on this earth. And in that time, there have been people in every generation talking about Jesus. They've been telling us what Jesus means. If you don't think it's a miracle that we have a, a Bible that tells us these words, and, and I can tell you from a whole lot of research that what is written here is what was originally written. We do know what the words of God have been throughout the centuries. And, and just, just let me say, the fact that the message of Jesus, an obscure Jewish teacher that never left his area, he didn't write any books. He didn't do anything that, that should have brought recognition to his name. The fact that we're talking about him 2,000 years later, that's a miracle in and of itself. But what he did for us, there's a song that says and verses that say, He who knew no sin, he became sin. So all the things that all of us have ever done, all the things that don't glorify God, all the sinful attitudes, actions, words, everything, Jesus took that on Himself. And then He paid the price for those sins. He was innocent. He was pure. He was clean. He paid the price for our sins. Both He and the apostles after Him said that if you believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. In John 3.16, he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That was Jesus telling us that. Paul told us in Romans, Everyone who believes on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a message that was passed down, and it has been passed down from generation to generation. I'm repeating it to you today because... All the miracles of Christmas were so that we could have the miracle of salvation. And that could be you. It could have already been you. But the reality is that is why we celebrate Christmas. Because Jesus made a way for us to be saved. The fact that he was born, that's cool. The shepherds, the angels, Mary... The wise men, all of those things are very interesting. But without salvation, this story doesn't survive. But because it has changed life after life throughout generations, people have recognized the miracle that happened in their life and they've proclaimed it to other people. That is why we still talk about Christmas. That's the miracle. And so I just want to leave you with that thought that of all the things that God did, He did that so that there could be salvation. So that you or somebody you talked to this week could be that Christmas miracle. Now I just 
I tell you that the Christmas season is filled with miracles. Make sure that it's a time of rejoicing in your life by trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Make sure that you have a real reason to celebrate Christmas. More marketing dollars are spent during this time of year than any other time of year because people are trying to get you to spend your money. They're trying to get you to buy something. They're trying to get you to, to believe in something. They're trying to get you to go somewhere. We have to recognize that it's not about all the distractions that are going on around. That's not what Christmas is really about. It's great to spend time with family. It's good to exchange gifts. But what we have to recognize is that the ultimate gift is Jesus Christ. And until you receive that gift, everything else is just that. It's a distraction. We have to trust in Jesus Christ. We have to let this Christmas season magnify His name. Now, I hope that I'm standing here talking to all believers. And if I am, then we have to go and share that greatest of Christmas miracles with those that we come into contact with on a daily basis. You know, that's, that's not the best way to make friends. To be honest with you, that's not always the most popular thing to bring up something serious like that. Somebody says, how's the weather? And you say, Jesus saves. And they're like, you're weird. But isn't that what's most important? Of all the things that we could talk about, isn't that the most important thing that we could share with people? And so I want to leave you with that. Now, you're creative. You, you will know ways, and God will give you opportunities to share the gospel with people. But it is so important that we do just that because they won't know otherwise. They won't get it off of TV. They won't get it off of social media. They won't hear it unless we share it with them. And when we do, we have given them the best Christmas gift that they'll ever receive in knowing Jesus Christ as their Savior. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time to gather together. And Lord, as we think about the miracles that, that are involved in Christmas, we, we could get into the prophecies and the things that were fulfilled just by Jesus being born under his circumstances. And all of that is so wonderful, and I definitely uh, love studying that. But Lord, the miracle that, that we look at is that he was born to be a Savior. He did exactly what you told him to do. And now as we stand here and sit here this morning, we can be, hopefully many of us already are, redeemed because of His work. I pray that we can celebrate that. I pray that we can proclaim that. I pray that we can see other people come to know Jesus as Savior as well. Father, I pray that Christmas this year have the impact that you have always intended it to have. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.